Welcome to Odyssey. Odyssey is a show where we discuss the frontier of crypto's opportunities and challenges in driving real-world impact in the societies of tomorrow. Odyssey is produced thanks to the support of SAFE and Ambar Wallet. SAFE is the most trusted decentralized custody protocol and collective asset management platform on Ethereum and the EVM. Ambar Wallet is an advanced smart wallet that utilizes account abstraction, acting as a gateway to Web3 applications and providing users with secure and effortless management of their digital assets. You'll hear more about them later on in the show. Let's get to it, friends. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Odyssey. On today's show, we had Jorge Selva, the head of growth at SAFE, previously known as Nosa SAFE. So as you've already been a listener for quite a while now, you'll have heard about SAFE, who are one of the sponsors of this podcast. Really excited to get Jorge specifically on the podcast to talk about SAFE's entire journey, starting from the Gnosis Safe ecosystem and now evolving and growing to where it stands today, securing tens of billions of dollars in digital assets in some of the world's most prized collectibles in the space. Throughout this conversation, we got the chance to explore Jorge's journey into crypto, his background coming from Latin America and his experience and what he's seen in the crypto ecosystem that he feels could be a solution to think about and address some of the centralization and exploitation challenges that we see in the region. But we also got the opportunity to explore and discuss where SAFE is really pushing the forefront of adopting smart accounts and smart wallets and shifting away from externally owned accounts, which as many of us that are listeners and longtime crypto users will know, can oftentimes pose existential threats with regards to how folks engage with the ecosystem, how they manage their digital assets. And when we think about onboarding you know, our grandmothers and those who have never been exposed to crypto, the reality is externally owned accounts aren't going to cut it. So I'm really excited to present this conversation with you. The very last tidbit that we got was one, some bit of alpha with regards to where SAFE is heading. And we also got to discuss a little bit of Jorge's insights and how he thinks about growth, specifically in the SAFE ecosystem, how he thinks about adopting and retaining developers throughout hackathons, conferences, and so on. So I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. And without further ado, Jorge Selva. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Marcus. Really excited to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Jorge, um, just to situate the audience with yourself and what you're up to in the ecosystem, give us kind of the, the brief 10,000 foot introduction on who you are and what you're working on. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'll start with SAFE. Uh, so SAFE uh, was originally called Gnosis SAFE and began as a multi-signature uh, account um, as part of Gnosis. I'll get into what all that means in a second. I know not everybody's up to speed on those terms. Um, but generally, we started as this idea of um, an account or a wallet that groups of people could use to manage funds together. Um, but we've since expanded that vision to really uh, promote the standard of uh, smart accounts in the space. And our mission is really to unlock ownership across the Web3 ecosystem. So we can get into those details in a little bit. Um, but for myself, I uh, joined as the growth lead at SAFE at the beginning of last year. So everything that happened with the uh, spinoff, with the rebrand uh, last year, last summer was a really exciting time. We kind of migrated away from being part of the Gnosis family, uh, came up with our own you know, new brand, new identity, established a foundation to kind of promote this smart account standard that we're working on and, and trying to drive adoption for. And yeah, um, it's, been, it's been a really fun year and a half on, on the SAFE team. Um, I can get into 
you know, some of the reasons why, why I joined a little bit later, but generally, um, just for background of myself, I, in the past, uh, mostly worked at uh, traditional Web2 startups. Um, so started my own uh, company that I ran for a couple of years. Um, we were designing a, a less distracting, more intentional uh, mobile phone. Uh, we originally wanted to make kind of like a Kindle type uh, phone for people that were seeking uh, less distracting tech. Um, so I did that for a couple of years, ended up working at a couple different uh, startups in Chicago. And around that time, you know, had bought some Bitcoin back in the day, but the original uh, launch of Ethereum got me really excited about this idea of, you know, composability in uh, Web3, specifically in, in Ethereum, you know, pre-Web3 -web terminology, whatever, uh, whenever that came about. And yeah, it's been really exciting to just see, you know, through DeFi summer, adoption growing, people focusing on some of the more interesting aspects of, of what this technology can unlock with regards to, you know, ownership, identity, um, in the case of safe, managing assets collectively. And yeah, there's a lot of really cool stuff that I've been um, excited about personally. And now I think it's all kind of coming together. There's a lot of crazy stuff happening, not just in uh, crypto, but yeah, we're, I think, really seeing the, the beginnings of how different new emerging technologies connect together and hopefully unlock cool new things for humanity. So yeah, I think that's kind of the short story. Happy to dig into anything else specifically. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for that introduction, like super valuable and useful. And I know you're also from Nicaragua um, and I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts specifically as, you know, you know, the Latin American community is a big listener and an audience of this podcast. So Nicaragua is going through like particularly sort of interesting and some might say quite uh, troublesome times. And, and so I'm curious to like get your thoughts and contrast that having grown up there, having that background from a kind of Latin American relationship and now working in uh, an ecosystem that supports and really promotes self-sovereignty. Um, you know, how do you how do you think about this? Not just specific to Nicaragua, but really the wider Latin American region as well. Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, thanks for reminding me. I forgot to mention that I was uh, born in Nicaragua. I was born and raised there, moved with my family when I was 10 uh, to the US. So spent kind of half my life there and then uh, went to Wisconsin when I was uh, about 10 years old. And yeah, I think I think it's interesting. I think seeing the context of Latin America always sort of being, you, you could take this a million different ways, right? Like there's, of course, the, um, you know, proto-colonial angle where, uh, you know, the U.S. and other regions of the world have, you know, imposed their their will, economic systems, whatever else on not only Latin America, but also many other regions around the world. And I think that, you know, for places like Latin America, like Nicaragua specifically, to kind of move forward from that past, I think it's really important for uh, these countries, these communities, these individuals to realize that you know, being tied to certain currencies, to certain economic models and systems, uh, it's always going to be, I think, not hindering, but it always kind of limits you in the way that you can sort of grow and uh, create, you know, an in, in economic system that isn't dependent on another nation or, um, yeah, set, set of people that might not have your interests at heart, right? So I think for me, the very, the very short of it is I think the potential is for people to embrace and adopt the ability to self-custody and own their own assets, to interact with each other on a peer-to-peer -peer level, uh, and to kind of move towards more of that 
decentralized ideal that I think a lot of us in the space are, are trying to build towards, which empowers the individual ultimately. And I think that that's what I what I'm really excited about with teams building uh, both in Latin America and of course in other places. But I, I really do hope that we can keep that focus on, yeah, decentralization, self-custody and kind of the individual at the core rather than just rebuilding, you know, these large systems that benefit the few and um, mostly, you know, a few countries and a few larger institutions and, and players. So yeah, I think there's a ton of potential. Uh, there are a bunch of teams, I think you are, your report that you did as part of your fellowship with the Ethereum Foundation kind of highlighted some of those real world use cases and, you know, teams are actively building towards this. And, you know, I, I really think the building blocks are in place now for a lot of these you know, potential new um, products and ways for people to interact with the system uh, to come online. So yeah, I think it's an exciting time, both for Latin America and elsewhere. So yeah. Totally, totally. Yeah. And I, you mentioned a few different things, right? So it's like one building systems that, the people who are in power, there is an alignment with the stakeholders that they serve with that power, right? And that's oftentimes something we haven't quite seen oftentimes in the global south. Also being able to empower individuals, there's oftentimes this extractive relationship with individuals and the state and so much that I've been through there. But uh, we'll save that conversation for another time for sure, because I, I think that, you know, it's a rapid hole and I could you know, we could spend hours talking about this. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's important to kind of set these foundations because it's the so what or the why of why we do any of this at the end of the day, right? And specifically safe, right? I mean, safe custodies, billions of dollars worth of assets in ways where people are like totally entitled to self-sovereign ways of handling those assets without having to rely on, you know, any, any single uh, point of failure or capture, right? So, you know, that, that's why I really wanted to kind of touch on that front. So, but let's, let's dive into SAFE. So, you know, I, I'm wondering if you could give me kind of the, the history and the overview and the arc of SAFE you mentioned, and, you know, listeners of the podcast will know as well that SAFE was previously known as NOSA SAFE, as you mentioned, but let's talk about the evolution. Like what, what was going on in the space of, you know, multi-signature accounts and where was it that SAFE really kind of rose up and, and came to be this sort of premier protocol with regards to uh, being able to custody assets in a super trustless and, and really secure way? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. So SAFE uh, was originally started as part of Gnosis in 2017. So Gnosis started as a predictions market and um, the original founders of Gnosis um, raised a pretty significant amount of funds through an ICO uh, back, in, back in the day. And as a function of having that significant treasury, they realized that they needed a way to manage this as a collective. And so they built the first version of Gnosis Safe then to scratch their own itch. And the original implementation was basically just a way for people to um, you know, co-own assets through this multi-signature scheme. So if you and I say, for example, um, are the managers of the treasury of a DAO, you know, we would set up a scheme where maybe there are four uh, EOAs or four hardware wallets that um, are owners on an account. And we could set a rule where, you know, any three out of those four keys would be required to execute a transaction. So it's a very simple example of like what a multi-signature account is at its core. And that's really what it was back in the day. It was just a way to manage those assets. And I think other teams, other DAOs that were in a similar situation that had raised pretty significant treasuries, realized that they needed to also store their assets in a more secure way rather than just having it 
on somebody's, um, you know, EOA browser extension wallet or whatever it was that they were using um, to manage those funds. So it kind of grew just through uh, organic adoption, um, primarily through DAOs and also uh, early, you know, participants in the Ethereum community. You know, now it's kind of grown to the point where many major DAOs use SAFE. Um, they use our smart accounts for managing, you know, significant DAO treasury assets. Vitalik has a good amount of his personal ETH in uh, SAFE. Punk6529 uses uh, SAFE to manage their, um, you know, collection of iconic uh, digital art. The list is the list is pretty long, um, but it's 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 a really representative sample of institutions, organizations, individuals that are ultimately trying to secure their assets in a smart account standard that enables, you know, flexibility, modularity, and um, has kind of stood the test of time. You know, ultimately what we do is at the core built around security, we're extensively audited, and that's always going to be our primary focus is building, you know, the best in class, most secure standard for uh, securing assets. So yeah, it's been, um, you know, a, a good few years, six years of um, starting with pretty organic adoption, but now moving forward into working with um, new networks, new products, new protocols that are emerging to solve the needs that are that are coming up and that are evolving uh, really quickly. So yeah, uh, we are really excited. We're kind of building towards that more modular future. And really what we care about most is giving giving people power and control and empowering them with, you know, security schemes that are basically just, you know, flexible and, and, and usable and secure. So I think that's the, the pretty short story. Yeah. And I love how the story of safe starts with this problem, right? And that I, a ton of different projects in the space, generally they'll kind of start with this grandiose solution, right? And Despite that, when you have, you know, this massive amount of capital injection that gets put into a single account and it's like, wait a sec, we need a, a way to manage and control these funds collectively, right? And that's where kind of SAFE emanates from. And then we look at the track record and history of where SAFE is today. There was a tweet the other day um, that got posted and I think Lucas shared it, something along the lines of Vitalik asked who owned uh, Gnosis SAFE or a SAFE at uh, ECC and like a substantial amount of the room put their hands up. Right. And that just speaks to real problems, real solutions, and like super strong, really well-developed product that has found high PMF. Right. And so I, I'm just like really excited. And I know at some point later on in this conversation, we're going to touch on like kind of the, the growth journey of safe and finding that PMF. Um, but the other thing you mentioned too, is like, there's lots of innovations that are kind of coming online with safe. And so let's, uh, let's dive into that. You know, let's talk a little bit about what's, uh, what's on the forefront of, of safe. You know, I, you've been doing a lot of, uh, hackathons. I know you've had some great projects come out of there as well. Um, but yeah, let's, let's talk about kind of the, the, the next day steps and undertakings that safe is taking on at the moment. Yeah. Uh, so I think, as I mentioned, originally safe started as a multi-signature wallet, but we've evolved to be much more than that. So we have split off the two main parts of safe into safe core, which is the core SDK intended for builders. And that's a suite of things like um, different kits that enable on-ramping authentication and more for people to um, kind of abstract away some of the complexities of dealing with smart contract accounts at the, at the base level. 
So that's really the, the builder product. And aside from that, we also have the wallet, which is built for users. And that's everything that you can find on our site around the desktop and mobile interfaces that kind of give you direct control over um, your safe accounts. So the, those are kind of the two big things that happened as part of the spinoff, which is, you know, once we established the safe DAO and kind of created this token to promote the standard and the adoption of, of smart accounts, we realized that, you know, the split was really natural. And what we are now, even now further realizing and that we, we hinted at at ETHCC, Lucas gave a talk on, on this, is the development of what we're calling SafeCore protocol. And the um, reason for building the SafeCore protocol is really that, um, you know, we really think that historically, um, you know, static smart accounts like what Safe originally was are very powerful, but we really need to move to more of a modular account framework that enables people to, you know, have a more composable, customizable, secure, and adaptable set of, of, of tooling. So as part of the SafeCore protocol launch, um, you know, we're, of course, focusing primarily on, on security, but some of the things that, that come into play are, you know, better standards around how accounts are defined, um, how registries and integrations work together, um, but ultimately doing it in a way that's agnostic so that it's not just a standard that SAFE builds for SAFE's, you know, benefit. What we really want to propose is a way forward where any account can come into this framework um, different registries and integrations can all play together as long as they're compliant with kind of the core uh, protocol spec. But we, we're really seeing because of the benefit of smart accounts, a lot of teams are building interesting new uh, models. There are, you know, initiatives at the Ethereum Foundation lay, uh, level with the um, development of ERC 4337, um, teams that are building their own smart, con smart account implementations. But we're noticing that there's this potential where things just become divergent and uh, not connected to each other. And that would probably be the worst, uh, the worst of all worlds for users where people now have these smart accounts that don't connect to each other. They're not interoperable. They don't know how to discover this new functionality that modules and, um, you know, plugins can, can enable. And yeah, I mean, the security implications of that disconnect become pretty scary where people you know, don't understand at the base layer, like what these accounts should be and how they can connect to each other in a reliable and you know, actually, you know, useful way. So yeah, I, I think from our side, pushing smart accounts has been first and foremost, what we've always been working towards. We split into core and wallet to address those needs, but now we're really seeing this need for the development of a safe core protocol that is agnostic of safe and that promotes the standards that we think the industry needs to adopt to enable better usability because, you know, EOAs aren't it. Like it's not, it, we're not going to get anywhere if we intend our, um, you know, family, grandparents, whoever it may be to set up a MetaMask, load it with ETH, like that just feels crazy. So we need to find better ways to, to bring people um, into this world. So yeah, that's what we announced um, at ECC. We'll have more details on that uh, shortly. We'll be, of course, asking for feedback and comments from the community. So stay tuned for that. We haven't formally announced anything, but I guess a little bit of alpha uh, to drop for the, the listeners here. So Awesome. Awesome. Always uh, love the alpha on the Odyssey podcast. So let's uh, let's take a quick of a, a bit, bit of a step back here. So you mentioned, you know, onboarding your grandma into crypto and 
what is required is to shift away from EOAs to smart accounts, right? And so let's let's kind of move through that flow. So let's talk about the problem that your grandma has today, or you know, kind of the mass adoption problem that we currently face with EOAs. And then in response to that, I'd love to explore smart accounts and just like break it down for the audience. Like this is what smart accounts will bring us. Um, and beneath that, this is what this safe core protocol will empower and enable within the context of these standards. And I love that we're getting to the place in the industry where it's like, okay, we've solved all these really hard technical problems. And now it's like, let's stop putting in so much effort into like individually trying to like kind of take things to, I, I wouldn't say these drastic enhancements. I mean, they, they are substantial with regards to what they unlock, but technologically speaking, they're also really impactful, but we've done like a lot of the really heavy load, right? So let's, let's talk about that flow of like, what are the challenges that users are seeing today and why can't we onboard, you know, folks with, uh, with EOAs today and, and reach that mass adoption and how will smart accounts kind of allow us to overcome these challenges? Yeah. So I, I think it's probably two problems. The first is of course, technological things, tools have to be friendly. Uh, UX has to be clean and follow patterns that people understand intuitively. We can't force, you know, really developer centric or, um, technically, minded solutions to people that are just not there yet in their level of understanding. So that's the whole UX and usability problem. And then of course, uh, trust is probably the other big one. So I think we're at the point now where there's there's been enough negative in the industry that I do think we have a pretty significant trust problem. And uh, I, I, I do hope that uh, th this topic of account abstraction that we'll get into um, can, can help solve for that and, and bring people on in a way that's more um, yeah, friendly and, and adaptable to their needs. So we'll kind of leave trust uh, on the back burner for a second, but kind of talking about usability, the idea of EOAs. So you have a private public key pair that controls all of your um, assets. So, you know, you write down your uh, seed phrase and that seed phrase is used to derive a private key. Like that just seems like something that most users aren't, aren't going to do. Like I'm not going to have um, you know, somebody, my, my mom write down a seed phrase and, and remember that. So the traditional model of having EOAs control accounts, whether it's a MetaMask or a rainbow wallet or whatever people are familiar with, that was kind of the, the, the first iteration of what accounts in, in crypto, uh, were, but we've now moved to this idea of smart accounts, which basically just mean instead of a private key controlling all of your funds, you now have code that controls your your funds, your account, and within that code, you can, uh, you know, customize it in ways that, you know, tie different functionalities together. Um, that kind of ties into the composable piece where you can interconnect all these different Lego blocks to create, you know, your custom, you know, call it your Marcus uh, saving, savings account or whatever it is that, you know, suits your needs based on um, maybe you have a family set up that has, um, you know, different, uh, users, whether it's your, um, your spouse, your children, your grandparents, whoever it may be. Um, and then also attaches different, um, you know, maybe yield bearing products or whatever it is, like all, all these things become possible, like not to go down the rabbit hole too much, but basically the, the core idea is that smart accounts, uh, are, um, customizable, they're adaptable, um, and ultimately they're just more future-proof than a traditional um, MetaMask or EOA account would be. 
So yeah, really what we're moving towards is from this uh, concept of you know single static accounts to accounts that are controlled by code. That code can then execute whatever it is developers decide to build on top of it. And that's what's really, we think like the um, really cool like tech tree that gets opened up just by having smart accounts is people can build endless functionality functionality on top of that. So today we have hundreds of products and projects that are built on top of the safe smart account standard. Um, they use our core infrastructure to manage that um, account layer and the security that comes with it. But then on top of it, they can build cool functionality to enable group ownership of NFTs, to um, do things like DAO payroll tooling, um, to you know do different forms of uh, experiments around verifying uh, on-chain identity or anti-Sybil um, uh, schemes that are, are, are being built that have safe smart accounts at the core. But ultimately, the way I think of it is, you know, moving people from the most basic, like hardcore version of what an account is, where your private key is what controls all of your assets, to this idea of account abstraction. It's a hot topic. People are talking about it. But ultimately, it just means the end user doesn't have to worry about the complexities on the lower level. They can just do what they set out to do, which is back to our point on usability or actual use cases, sending money to their family back home in Nicaragua or wherever it may be, or setting up a, a bank account for their children to learn about how, you know, APY works or th things like that. that. That's what becomes possible when the user doesn't have to worry about that. And account abstraction really unlocks like what people are actually trying to do. So I, I think that's kind of a little bit of a, we can go in a million different rabbit holes in terms of what that actually means, but Ultimately, the way I think of account abstraction is better usability for users and uh, ultimately making sure that things are just as customizable and adaptable as, as possible. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, it's always funny when you try to sort of show someone how incredible DeFi is or how great it is that you can, you know, sort of mint, uh, mint digital artwork and you have to go through like three different steps and sign all these different things and pay like $30 in gas and by the end, people are like, well, what did, what are all these things you just did? Right. And, yeah. and I, I, like, I think the thesis for all of us at this point is web three or crypto won't reach mass adoption until the thing looks and feels like FinTech. It looks and feels like going on a web two website. And yes, behind all of that is all this incredible technology that is powering and really bringing to force, uh, really and, and leveraging things like the safe core protocol right and so I'm, I'm i'm excited to kind of dive into some of the specific projects here that you've seen you, you said there's hundreds of folks that are leveraging this like what are some of the exciting uh, projects you've seen come across the ecosystem i know safe has been involved with a number of hackathons as well there's a couple of projects i personally come across that i really like but what have you seen builders like really push the envelope on when they begin to leverage kind of these uh, more exciting innovations that are coming out of the, the safe ecosystem SAFE, previously known as NoSaySafe, is a decentralized custody protocol secure $60 billion in assets today. It is establishing a universal standard for secure custody of digital assets, data, and identity. SAFE is on a mission to unlock digital ownership for everyone in Web3, including DAOs, enterprise, retail, and institutional users, both through their SAFE core account abstraction infrastructure, and of course, its flagship product, the SAFE wallet, the wallet we all know and love. Start using SAFE for building on top of the SAFE core account abstraction stack by visiting safe.global. And now let's get back to the show. 
Yeah, uh, so a couple that come to mind. So for example, uh, CoinShift is probably one of uh, the larger, actually two. So CoinShift and Utopia, uh, they're both solving the needs of DAOs. So DAOs have different contributors that they have to pay out in a mix of currencies, stable coins, whatever it is that their uh, team members are deciding to be paid in. They also uh, have you know, the complexity of reporting and tax and all the fun, normal stuff that comes with running a business, whether you're crypto uh, oriented or not. And um, Utopia and CoinShift specifically are solving this through setting up you know, better ways to set up token vesting schedules for their users, um, to automate payments out to their team members, uh, to handle on-ramping and off-ramping from fiat to stable coins and back. So generally that whole problem space of DAO tooling, I think is only gonna keep growing as organizations become more digitally native and cross-border. I think the benefits of paying out people without having to deal with the traditional um, finance rails as a business are, are huge. Like, of course, users will still have to on, usually off-ramp back to whichever bank or um, fiat currency they're interacting with. But generally the, the layer of, of tech that is enabled by, by having these things live, live on chain is, is really exciting. Um, so CoinShift and Utopia are, are two big ones that come to mind. In the NFT space, as you mentioned, NFTs are more than just, you know, lion pictures or whatever the traditional uh, conception of what NFTs might be. But eventually like NFTs will become a, a mix of identity, proof of ownership of assets. It could be like the right to uh, royalties from streaming of a specific song, all, all of these types of uh, core primitives that NFTs unlock can be controlled by smart accounts. And there has to be logic around how both individuals, but groups can use those. And so we're seeing tools such as um, Castle and uh, Seasons and a few other NFT uh, Primar like primarily NFT focused implementations of safe arise. And it's cool that they're all kind of built around this idea of what collective ownership means for groups, um, finding cool artwork, music, um, real world assets that, that you're interested in and helping you kind of collect those and keep those secure is, is, is really cool. Um, so those are a couple there. Uh, Tribes is also kind of in that space of, of NFTs, but also messaging. So messaging between groups, between DAOs, like that's being built. Uh, there's also, I mean, we just announced a, a partnership with Monarium. And uh, after the Monarium announcement, Gnosis Pay was announced. So uh, Monarium is um, basically an on off ramp uh, to Euro. So basically you can have an IBAN that is issued by Monarium that you can use to get paid directly to and from your safe. So instead of having to, you know, send you something through your IBAN number, I can just pay you directly through my safe account using this Monero integration, which is a pretty huge unlock. Huge. And okay. yeah, and and uh, after that announcement at ETCC, the Gnosis Pay team announced Gnosis Pay, which is basically a Visa card on the front end and a safe account on the back. So all the benefits of self-custody with safe and then you know, the 80 million or however many merchants except Visa currently connected to that self-custodial network. Like that's super exciting. So I guess, you know, moving from tooling that's built on top of safe, there's a million different things that can be built. And then the real world utility that is now coming online through things like Gnosis Pay, I think it's, it's moving really quickly and it's just exciting to see how many different avenues people are, are taking it down. So, yeah. 
Um, I guess the last one I'll mention too is uh, on the hackathon front, we've had a lot of interesting builders. One cool one is the Troop Labs team. Uh, so they built this idea called, uh, I think it was Prepago and it was like scratch off cards. So in Latin, in Latin America, it's very common to, um, you know, give people maybe like a preloaded visa card where you can scratch off uh, a code that has a certain amount of money preloaded on it, or, you know, using those types of cards for paying your bills or utilities or whatever it may be. And so they built this idea of like a scratch card that you buy at a corner store, you scratch off, you get your code instead of being, uh, you know, uh, an iTunes gift card or whatever. It's actually a preloaded safe account that has some funds on there for you. You load up your safe and you're ready to go and interact with uh, DeFi and kind of the on-chain world directly from this physical card that you might pick up, you know, on whatever, you know, back street you're on in uh, Guatemala or wherever. So I, I think that's super cool. Um, again, the Troop Labs team built that at um, uh, ETH Lisbon um, a few months back, and there's a bunch of different ideas kind of in that similar vein that have been built since then. So, yeah. I saw that project and I loved it. I was like, yes, this is exactly the type of things that smart accounts are going to bring us, right? It, the capacity to be able to like buy crypto. And, and the problem they were trying to over overcome was that you couldn't transfer uh, in and out of exchanges with your bank account, otherwise it would get shut down, right? And yeah. so being able to just like buy a card at any store and that immediately gives you access to a smart account with crypto preloaded onto it, I think is, is huge. So it, it just sort of, it's this inflection point, I think, I think smart accounts are, and it's why there's been so much energy and hype and attention behind it. It's why, you know, Vitalik uh, has been talking about it as well so much is because we're going to see this kind of Cambrian explosion of new use cases that are going to take us to mass adoption, you know, and, and that is what makes me super excited about SAFE and everything that you guys are building there. And I think the other point that I wanted to, to mention as well is Gnosis Pay, right? So when we think about like what Gnosis Pay is doing is it's basically, I think there was this long time belief of like, we need to bring the world into crypto and we need to get people like accepting USDC and we, we need to get people sort of like accepting Bitcoin. Like that was the original kind of thesis, right? Is like, let's create this peer-to-peer uh, -peer payments network where everywhere you go, you'll be able to pay in Bitcoin. And aside from a few, I don't know, hundred places that are able to accept Bitcoin, even just like in Central America, right? I, I know like in, in other places in Europe, there have been a lot of experiments in Berlin, most notably, uh, that sort of came and then went because you just didn't quite have these network effects, right? To be able to, Visa has that network effect. They've got uh, tens of millions of merchants that are already accepting uh, Visa payments, right? And so let's take crypto to mainstream and, and let's not fool ourselves into thinking that we need to onboard and convince everyone that it's got to be the other way around, right? And, and that's what I'm really stoked on, on like Gnosis Pay. And again, it's just another uh, improvement on where the ecosystem is heading and what we can continue to build and, and develop and grow. And I'm super excited to see you guys kind of supporting a lot of hackathons around the world and, and seeing these great use cases. So Let's shift a little bit now to like what's coming up. Like, what can the folks you know expect to come out of the safe ecosystem, and you know what what are we really looking forward to uh, with regards to continuing to drive this mass adoption in in the space? If you haven't yet explored the benefits of smart wallets and account abstraction, you should definitely check out Ambire Wallet. It is the wallet you wish you had when you started your crypto journey. Ambire works with all EVM chains out there, the layer twos like Arbitrum, Optimism, Polygon, but also non-Ethereum ecosystems like Avalanche and Phantom. You'll never have to spend your valuable ETH again because Ambire Wallet lets you pay for gas in stable coins, one of the many perks of smart accounts. 
The web application of Ambar Wallet offers a number of fiat on-ramps for seamless conversion of fiat currency into crypto. And if you prefer self-custody with a safety net, you can recover a lost Ambar Wallet using an email address and password without giving the Ambar team any control over your funds. Ambar Wallet is available on both mobile and web platforms, providing a range of features, including a gas-saving mechanism, effortless integration with multiple dApps, transaction batching, and more cool functionalities to enhance your digital asset management experience. Stay tuned as an extension of Ambar Wallet is coming soon, TM, to expand its accessibility even further. Want to get your hands on the Ambar Wallet? Check it out at ambire.com. And now, let's get back to the show. Yeah, so a few things are top of mind. I mean, definitely on the standard side, if you're a developer, we're working actively on making uh, smart accounts just better, more interoperable, and more standardized across the the industry. So that's that's coming. We'll be asking for feedback and, and comments there. So if you're a builder or uh, developer, uh, would love love your input on on that initiative. We are also, we just announced our um, accelerator in partnership with Longhash. So this will be an opportunity for early stage builders, projects, companies to come to us with an idea and alongside investment and expertise, kind of incubate that idea in a traditional accelerator setup, bring that to the masses. So we're really excited to uh, put our money where our mouths are <laughs> alongside our uh, alongside Longhash, which is one of our investors, and give a more focused, uh, intentional sort of approach to pushing um, smart accounts. So we just announced that on on Twitter. It's on our Twitter account. You can see more details there. And we are also uh, pushing our grants program. So we announced our grants program, which similar to the accelerator is an opportunity for us to invest in builders that are, are bringing the smart account standard to the world. So I would generally say, you know, we're, we've historically been pretty use case agnostic and our intention is to build the best tooling for people to go and create really cool implementation on top of um, smart accounts. And that's what we'll be promoting going forward. So as I mentioned, you know, we have hundreds of safe apps and interfaces and uh, products that have been built on top of safe. And I think through the grants, through the accelerator, through more hackathons, of course, and uh, also uh, the last one, a little bit more alpha, we're uh, announcing the first ever uh, dedicated SafeCon. So in uh, September, right before DAPCon in Berlin, we will be hosting our own uh, conference, SafeCon, to uh, you know not only talk about these ideas, but be hands-on, give builders and participants an opportunity to get to know each other and think about you know, what's coming up, what's, uh, what's exciting and what could be built on top of smart accounts. So yeah, the future I think is more, uh, more, uh, products built on top of safe. Um, eventually we want, you know, the future to be where the default account is a smart account rather than an EOA. So we're doing everything we can to make uh, smart accounts, the industry standard, and that's probably what you'll see most of from us. Okay, awesome. So, uh, setting some standards running an accelerator, running a grants program, running a conference, uh, running hackathons. That's it. Uh, not much going on in the safe ecosystem folks. Uh, no, I love it, man. That's great. And, and like I said, I mean, I think that this effort, and I know there's been, uh, improvements at the protocol layer, even to start talking and thinking about, well, how are we going to change every EOA to a smart account, um, and, and enable for that sort of 
Cambrian explosion to continue to happen. So really excited to see you guys continue to build and, and develop and grow on, on that front. So, and talking of everything that's going on at SAFE, I, the last thing I would love to really dive into as well is, and, and this is a really interesting conversation because like growth doesn't just happen. And, and it oftentimes gets talked about, particularly with new ecosystems, right? It's like on the one side, you've got the technology and the innovation um, and the development. And then the other side, you've also got the adoption and the growth and the community building, right? And so I want to really kind of take this time and explore, given you're the head of growth at SAFE, like, what has that journey been like for you? And how have you kind of managed to, since you started at SAFE, think about growth and adoption and continuing to kind of uh, grow with folks and users in the ecosystem, particularly now that you're doing this like gargantuan sort of at the protocol layer effort uh, to bring more people onto smart accounts. So walk us through kind of your uh, mental models when you think about growth and, and as it relates to, to SAFE as well and how you've gone about the execution process on, on that side of things too. Yeah. So I think it's split into a few main trains of thought. So there's the builder side and the user side of crypto, of basically like any, any product that you're trying to bring to the world. Right. So from the beginning, we realized as we were rebranding that the core of safe was really, of course, like security oriented at, 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 at the most, like at the most important layer, but really just focus on this idea of uh, ownership across many different aspects. And so what we did was, of course, through the branding, the rebranding effort that we went through last year, kind of pushing safe as this concept of, you know, the standard that that promotes ownership. Um, we, we tried to be more clear about what we had built and how it could benefit both of those sides of, of the house. So for builders specifically, it's really unlocking um, ideas, concepts, um, making making the tooling clear that people might not have been aware existed. Like in the past, a lot of documentation, and I think you know m- many projects fall into this, where they build they build for builders, they build for themselves, and they assume that everybody has the same level of understanding and um, you know basically just having the ins and outs of a specific protocol or, or tech stack when that's not the case. So doing basic things like developer workshops at hackathons, improving our documentation, um, doing better uh, videos, better in-person events, like all of these things kind of contributed to that idea of we have safe, we have this smart account standard, but now it's our job to tell that story to the world and get developers excited through many different avenues so that ultimately they'll build. So I think, you know, people get hyper-focused on like whether what they're doing is uh, measurable or, um, you know, being super metrics oriented from the beginning. And I think you fall into that space where, you know, if you come into a new project and you're working in marketing or growth or whatever you want to call it, it's really easy to just be hyper-focused on, you know, the here and now of improving like on-site optimization or running you know, Twitter ads or whatever it may be, but you lose sight of some of the more like user oriented usability issues that come up both for developers and users. And I think it's important to just start there and just hear people out. And like when I came in, it was just talking to people, meeting developers at hackathons, um, talking to users, like looking at our user interviews and recordings of how people are using the tool to just get a sense for like, what are people coming to say for? How are they 
building it to create the next great product or to secure their family's, you know, crypto assets or whatever it may be. And then from there, like marrying those stories to different campaign ideas, different events that we might do, um, then figuring out like what product marketing metrics might, might tie into this. And then, you know, once you identify those, those questions, those user groups, you can then get into kind of, you know, maybe the tooling around the analytics that's needed to kind of connect the dots between like, okay, we have this goal for user adoption in terms of safes being deployed or transactions originating from safes. And once you kind of have those like big picture, like objectives, you can then say, okay, we have, we have the tooling in place to measure those outcomes and we can figure out, you know, different campaigns, different initiatives to drive those goals. So, yeah, I think the, the main takeaway for me was from the beginning, I think it's really easy to just get like too focused on the numbers, like really early and you lose sight of like, why are people actually coming to you? Like what, what are they looking to solve? And that's kind of we, how we hit, a, how we hit upon that original like core belief of like our mission at safe is to unlock ownership. And then that gives us the, the direction and the authority to then go and say, within those constraints, like anything is possible. How do we allocate resources? How do we come together as a product team to, you know, support, for example, some of the hackathons that we did, that was a big lift where the marketing team plus product came together to say, we need more awareness on the safe core SDK. How do we do that? Let's brand this as like this, we're calling it the March for account abstraction. It was this big hackathon that we did in March where we improved our, our documentation um, launched this core SDK that was a huge lift from the product side and from the marketing side, we supported by, um, you know, telling the story, bringing the right builders into the house and kind of painting that, that vision of, of what we wanted to see built on top of it. So, yeah, I, I think if, if, if I had any advice to give for anybody that's kind of looking to promote adoption, to drive growth, to think about what marketing looks like, um, it's, it's this weird, like, double-sided thing where because everything is composable what we're building is ultimately used by both builders and people building on top of your project but then also like actual users and you just have to be intentional about knowing who they are what they're looking for and um yeah awesome. coming up with interesting ways to to drive that so yeah i think that's very high level but we can get into anything specifically yeah, yeah, I love the the one specific point you mentioned around documentation and not assuming that everyone is as intimately familiar with these baseline understandings within your documentation of like how to navigate, you know, I don't know, working with the SDK, for example, or even like at the governance layer, like how do you engage with, I don't know, the grants in the safe ecosystem and so on, right? And being very intentional and curious with regards to, okay, how do we start from zero, assume there is relatively minimal knowledge and build kind of the communications, the documentation, you know, our efforts and so on from that place. Because I think that's how you can cast a really wide net and ultimately is what will end up leading to higher numbers and, and so on. So um, really, really interesting. And given you've got a really big emphasis on like builders, like hackathons play like a really critical role in that journey. And what is specifically when you think about like adoption and builder kind of mindset, what's the strategy there? And, and how do you think about, well, we want more people building on the, with the SDK, we want more people using the protocol. 
how do you continue to kind of incentivize that flywheel of growth? You know, you've mentioned the hackathons, but like what else is going through your mind as you think about this? Yeah. So originally we kind of came to hackathons with pretty basic ideas around what bounties were, how we defined the problem space or things that we would like to see people build. And we've since evolved many different ways to be more direct about what we're looking for, what we're not looking for, how our bounties and our hackathon participation can connect to other um, projects as well. So like when somebody comes to a hackathon, if they can see, oh, if we build on top of safe and air stack and Gnosis chain, um, this kind of picture of what a product might look like and an incentive for people to build becomes bigger because they have, you know, there's more money involved if there are multiple sponsors. And so we've kind of adopted that strategy of uh, connecting to different participants, different um, hackathon sponsors, and kind of creating these co-bounties or co-ideas that kind of connect the dots between not just our tooling, but other uh, tooling in the ecosystem as well. Documentation, I think, fits into that idea of like, what are the bounties? Um, what are we trying to solve for? What parts of the stack are we interested in people using? I think those are kind of just the, the foundational blocks that you need for a, a successful hackathon uh, project is you, you just need to be really clear about how things are documented, how you want builders to interact and where they can find all this different information. And to your point on a flywheel, when we first were doing hackathons, we really were focused on kind of that first stage of how many developers can we engage? Can we get feedback on how they interacted with the you know SDKs? What do they like? What do they not like? That's kind of like the first step, but to keep that engagement beyond the three-day hackathon is super important. So that's why we're launching things like grants, like the Accelerator, um, more intentional meetups around the world, uh, group initiatives where builders can learn from each other and you know leverage the knowledge that's in the kind of web of safe builders to keep pushing forward and not just have these things be one-off hackathon projects. So we've seen a lot of people go on to keep building on top of safe, raise money, um, bring products to market. And I think a lot of the efforts now around bringing both you know money, but also time and expertise to give people the tools to build beyond is, is what's super important. So um, I think, you know, the smart teams in uh, in crypto are doing that. They're connecting the dots and saying like, okay, it's not just like a cool hackathon project that we want people to build. We want them to stick around and keep building and help us grow um, in our case, smart accounts. But for other people, it's of course a different, a different thing. But yeah, I think generally those are the, the things that we found and how we've evolved to kind of keep the, the excitement and the engagement going past just these one-off events. Yeah, which I think is huge, right? Like oftentimes you just have these folks coming in, building, getting their prize and piecing out, right? But I, yeah. given you guys are really trying to kind of create that stickiness, I, I think it's crucial and really it's smart to think about, okay, well, let's kind of get together with all these different players and hey, we're all aligned here and we all want like this X objective. So let's actually offer like shared bounties and, and so on. So awesome, man. Well, this has been a, a really interesting conversation. We've touched on everything from like your personal kind of vindication all the way through to this flywheel of growth for developers and, and builders in the ecosystem as well and everything in between kind of the safe stack too. So just to wrap things up, Jorge, is there anything that we haven't touched on? Anything you're really bullish on the crypto ecosystem within safe or, or any kind of like parting words that you'd love to leave the audience with? Uh, I mean, yeah, I think all the, the points that I mentioned that are coming up uh, are on our Twitter account at safe on Twitter. We uh, will have more details on SafeCon coming up. So I hope to see some people there if you're interested in smart accounts and yeah, driving adoption of smart accounts and, you know, future proofing some of these uh, technologies that we've built, I think is what I'm most excited about. So 
I'm sure everybody's been following the superconductor news, but as you know, uh, quantum computing becomes maybe more uh, realistic in the short term, building tech that's future proof and you know, able to address things like post-quantum computing and these kinds of things is what I'm super excited and bullish about and why I'm really excited that it's safe. You know, we've kind of taken this future-proof like modular uh, approach. So yeah, looking forward to have more people build this standard at the protocol level. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited. What, what are you most bullish about, by the way, if I can flip one question uh, back at you? Oh, I love this. I love this. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I, I think for me, it really is about how do we get this stuff into as many people's hands as possible? Like, and, and that's what really frustrates me, to be honest, is how incredible, how bullish, how excited and optimistic everyone is with this technology. And at the same time, it's like a super pain to navigate just the basics and fundamentals of how do you set up your account, you know, and I've had it with multiple friends and family members where they're, hey, you know, help me get into this whole crypto thing, walk them through the whole process. Then they end up losing their private keys, lose their funds. As you said, you know, people then end up losing trust. And if people can't trust what we're building, and if every time you talk about crypto, it's sort of met with a sigh or some sort of rejection, like we are not going to be building kind of the future of human coordination substrates, which is like what I'm really here for, right? So I want to really see like governments using this stuff. I want to see us using peer-to-peer -peer payment networks, lending networks. So really it's just like mass adoption, mass adoption, mass adoption, and everything that is going to be in service of that, which obviously safe is like a huge pillar of. Um, so, you know, that that's what I'm really here for. And really the intention with this whole podcast as well is like, let's educate and, and let's build bridges because I think it's the only way to overcome a lack of trust is to give people the information, context, and education that they need to uh, get engaged in this ecosystem. So, but I appreciate you flipping that around on me. Uh, definitely, I, I, think I think it's, it's always those are great points. Out of the mic. Yeah, yeah no, I think that's spot on. Um, thanks for the time, Marcus. This is great and really cool to see what you've built with the podcast and all of your work before this. So, yeah, thanks again. Awesome. No, thank you, Jorge. And where can the audience find you and, and connect with you as well? Yeah, I'm at Jorge Selva on Twitter, um, J-O-R-G-E-S-E-L-V-A. And yeah, as I mentioned, uh, at SAFE on Twitter, you can find us at safe.global. And yeah, excited to connect with some of you. If you want, feel free to DM me or uh, just message us through, through our site. Awesome. All right, Jorge. Well, it's been great having you. Take care, man. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Odyssey. And thank you for joining us on our collective journey as we look to explore where crypto has the opportunity to drive real-world impact in the societies of tomorrow. If you haven't yet already, make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and also that you've joined our Telegram community, which you'll find below. I'll see you on the next one.